Hello, and welcome to What is Wrong with Hiring, the podcast where we talk about why hiring people and getting hired are both absolute nightmares. I'm your host, Laura Klein. Please be advised that this podcast may contain drinking, swearing, and screaming into the abyss, so pretty much like most podcasts. My guests today, and I have two of them, I'm very excited, are Lawrence Humphrey and Fallon Blossom. Lawrence is the co-founder and CEO of Pearl, which we will be talking about, and Fallon is the co- is also the co-founder and COO of Pearl, and uh, perhaps they will explain to me what the difference is between those two things, which I'm very excited about. Um, and uh, Pearl, I'm just going to say, Pearl may be hiring at the time, at, at the time of recording, we are aspiring to hire. So, um, you know, check back in because uh, they seem like they would be fun to work for, I got to be honest. Um, today, we are going to be talking about a little bit about getting into tech and design specifically from non-traditional backgrounds. And um, we're going to go in a lot of places from there. We're also going to be talking a little bit about, um, for, hire, for the hiring managers and the managers out there, creating a culture where people from all kinds of backgrounds can flourish and where they actually want to work, which, I mean, I think that's a thing that we should all be aspiring to. So welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So I want to know, first of all, you mentioned like, the funny thing is you mentioned your non-traditional backgrounds and I'm like, oh, I, yes, we all have non-traditional backgrounds. I think this is pretty common, (laughs) Um, but somehow weirdly, all different. So tell me about yours. Tell me how you got into tech and design and yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll keep it pretty brief. My background when I was going into college, I didn't know that I wanted to get into tech necessarily. It was a gamble. I just knew I love STEM. I happened into computer science and from there found, you know, happened into design. Uh, I am by no means a traditional, like classically trained designer. I just you know, happened into it. Um, but yeah, it was following that very windy path, which I found I, it took some time to shake the imposter syndrome, but I found that being uh, a designer without a design background isn't all too uncommon, but that's my short story. And Fallon, how about you? Um, very similar. Uh, so I started off doing video and media and stuff in high school and wanted to try to make a career out of that. Uh, When I graduated from undergrad, it was in 08, which is a terrible year for anyone trying to do anything new. So I couldn't do the thing that I said that I was going to do. So I didn't realize this at the time, but I was design thinking my life and (laughs) in a winding path through law and ed research uh, at Harvard um, there, I realized I'm like, oh, okay, this video stuff, this learning stuff, this design stuff all can be a thing. And then that is what took me to tech because I realized that that was one of the only places that I knew of at the time where I could put all the things that I was passionate about and good at together in one role instead of trying to make something fit in places that weren't really receptive to the kind of innovation that tech just has. This is, this is so cool because I, I'm hearing stuff that I hear from folks that I've worked with that I think have so much to offer to tech and to design. And I, I feel like sometimes they can struggle, like we can struggle as hiring managers to do that, putting it together and saying, oh, you would be perfect for this role. Because so many hiring managers, I think, are sometimes looking for like, oh, do you have six years with Sigma? And, you know, mm-hmm. do you have all of these keywords? And um, can you 
how, what's your experience been like with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky. And, you know, my disclaimer is I haven't necessarily interviewed in a while, but I had done a fair amount of coaching and guiding people through the design transition. So some of my background, I worked at IBM for several years where I helped build a pipeline into the design program. And specifically, I was working a lot with coding UX boot camps, and those people tend to correlate with the you know career changes. At the time, they were disproportionately underrepresented folks. And I found that obviously there is the expectation from hiring managers to get pre-made, pre-vetted. You know, they see a certain amount of craftsmanship coming from universities. And then there was this, you know, you, you need to say that, all right, the craftsmanship is also here. But, and this is, I think, one of my general reframings that I'm trying to have just everyone do and trying to codify these candidates offer a diversity of both identities and a diversity of thought through their background, in addition to this craftsmanship, which, you know, yes, you can have all of these RISD SCAD designers, but if they all come from two curriculums, you're not getting the most diverse sample of designers, no matter what they look like. So, um, you know, that's been some of my experience of like practically, and I mean, without getting into all the details, you know, saying these are high quality candidates delivering high quality work, but we are doing ourselves a disservice only talking about the work, the very tangible work that they can offer. Um, that's high level been my experience. It's been like a re-education so, almost. Yeah. And so trying to talk to folks about the sort of what the potential is of folks, it's, it can be so hard to sell people on potential, especially for underrepresented folks. Um, yeah. I think that so, so much potential in, in people that you've seen walk that path before and yeah. suddenly if you're not you need all the qualifications but also you know i think that for you know again if we're just going to juxtapose the person coming just out of school and the career change person they have at the my undoubtedly more industry experience when it comes to working on teams and collaborating and i hate using this but like navigating politics and just dealing with the people side of the work which is arguably more important than the tangible deliverable work itself. So it's, and uh, you know, it's taking some time to reframe and say like, okay, this is the value that I get out of this tranche of people. This is the value that I get out of this category of people, but it's not just about the end deliverable. Yeah, It's not even yeah. about potential. Well, it's just the different dimensions. Yeah. And it's interesting because I know Lawrence, your, your background, you started in programming. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Or engineering? Right. And, and Fallon, you mentioned that you were more research and law and, yeah, <laughs> you know, I was managing project. caseloads and I was managing projects. I wasn't mm -hmm. creating anything. I was just moving things down a pipeline, whether it's getting a case from a file to a judge or getting a research project from a grant to some data. Mm -hmm. I was the one moving things along. Yeah. And what I'm thinking creatively. <laughs> See? Okay. So you say that. And yet having worked with lawyers, sometimes you have to get a little creative. <laughs> oh, those arguments I had to make were, imagine trying to convince the United States government that somebody with fibromyalgia and Raynaud's syndrome can't work for the rest of their life. That is a story. That, that, that is, is a that story. Is a narrative. <laughs> <laughs> that is some content yeah. design needed. 
<laughs> it's content design. I think it's also the the program, like, you know, getting things through is very much, that can be systems design and figuring out how the process works and process. And I don't want to be one of those people who's all like, everyone's a designer. Not everyone's a designer. Well, okay, I mean, I think everyone is, is, but not everyone's a great <laughs> designer. Yeah. It's like little D versus big yeah. D design. Which <laughs> one are you? Everyone is a little D designer, yes. I think. And I don't say little to diminish it, but again, with every decision that you're making to do a thing, there's potentially some design there. I 100% agree. Like almost everyone cooks and not everyone is a, is a chef. Yeah. Um, but sometimes what you need are a lot of cooks and, you know, they have a lot to, to teach us. So anyway, so it's it's interesting hearing sort of even the, the difference in, you know, oh, we come from non-traditional backgrounds and non-traditional means different from each other too and trying to find the kind of job that fits each of those skills i know i i end up hiring a lot of ex-engineers because i i am one and so i okay i admit to it a little bias. we all have our biases, a lot of bias. yeah. yeah we do, we do. <laughs> mine, mine is mine is i like people who think very systematically and who do who cover all the bases and who like and I always find that like the people who actually wrote the programs were on the last, they were like the last line of defense for the users. Like if they didn't handle a, an error, mm-hmm. nothing went like, you know, a designer can kind of fake it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. and it's, yeah. I mean, I have the same, you're in good company. Yeah. yeah company. All right. So that's that. And again, I don't want to go off on a rant there. But I just did. This is your podcast. <laughs> Look, you can do whatever you need to do. No, this is Y'all, a safe place to safe rant. <laughs> Come on. Oh, this is not a thing you want to encourage. <laughs> I appreciate sure, it, but sure. you're the, you're the experts. You're the experts here, and um, I want to hear. Actually, you know what? Um, we didn't talk about this before. I want to hear a little bit about Pearl and what Pearl does, and what what y'all are trying to accomplish um, with Pearl as well. I I didn't even get into that when I introduced you. Yeah. So uh, Pearl was born out of an org called Tech Can Do Better, which was founded the week after George Floyd was murdered. And it started as an initiative, both outlining what systemic equity looked like in the tech industry, as well as making it extremely actionable for everyone from the C-suite leaders to the practitioners, software engineers, designers, hiring managers, everyone in between. And What that looked like was a piece of literature called Achieving Equity in Tech. And by and large, community calls, which we brought together people from across the industry, basically to share tips and tricks of how to get unstuck, how to move the needle within their own companies. Fast forward to January, this past January, 2022, we got accepted into a startup accelerator where we saw the opportunity to scale what we were doing um, basically, if you wanted to scale the kind of consultancy work, you know, in order to scale a consultancy, you kind of have to hire more people. But I have a product background and, you know, tech and design, as I mentioned before. And the obvious way to scale is creating a platform for which, you know, you can you can scale out without needing to hire necessarily a ton of people. So that was where Pearl was born, where we are an on-demand peer-based leadership consulting platform aiming to bring together diverse leaders from across the industry to see how other leaders are getting things done and connecting people's and specifically leaders problems. So how to find and hire diverse candidates, for instance, how to manage in an international remote environment, how to manage low performers, et cetera, and connecting them with other people's processes for how to achieve those things. So 
that's you know the origin story, if you will, and the high level uh, uh, at a high level what Pearl seeks to accomplish. That sounds amazing. I I'm I'm very excited uh, to see to see where y'all go with this. Um, and uh, so it sounds like do you do, it sounds like you had some literature that you put out already. Um, are do you think it's going to be more of a place where people can go and you know just get the training that they need? Is that basically when 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 do, when do I sign up? Yeah, well, <laughs> and, the... and am I the right person to sign up? Like I'm a I'm a hiring manager, but you know, kind of low level. Oh yeah, absolutely. I the initial proposal is and always will be in the wild. Like you can go on techcandobetter.us and if you go to the proposal section, it's there. Anyone can look at it. And there's the executive summary for, you know, whether you are quote a decision maker, hopefully I didn't drop out, um, a manager or an employee. So there there are actionable items for anyone to do there. And the MVP, the Pearl solution itself, by the time of hearing this, I am assuming that it will be out in the wild for people to join. We're getting kicked off with our pilot programs in the next couple of weeks, but that will soon be available in, in your hands. I mean, Laura, your hands and My hopefully hands. for other, the listeners, uh, your hands very, very soon in the next couple of weeks or not months. Excellent. Well, I mean, considering how slow I am to get actual podcasts out, it will absolutely be available by then. <laughs> I'm not always, you know, 100% on top of things, as as y'all know. As anyone is, you know, <laughs> That's, who is? There's, there's things going on, you know. Um, so that is that is very exciting. You mentioned, um, you know, being better about hiring diverse candidates, hiring underrepresented underrepresented candidates. I mean, and this is not the kind of thing that I want to be like, hey, could you solve that for us in the next 10 minutes, please? Because um, I think that's um, unfair and <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, if, if I did yeah. that, I would be sending uh, sending someone an invoice. But, uh, yeah, exactly. That'd be, but uh, so if folks want to learn more about that, they go to Pearl. Are there other um, resources, other places we should go to? Yeah, and, and I what would, would still... you? What do you think are the most important things to focus on? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, myself and a ton of other smart and diverse people from across the industry put as much of our brains into that proposal. So I would just have people look into that tech can be better proposal. That's the big one. And I definitely have my point of view as to the best starting place. And many of them are in that document. But Fallon, I'm eager to hear what you think about Perfect. it. Um, I think that I agree. I would say that that proposal is a really good place to start. It is I joined Tech and Do Better as a part of the community. I was not interested. I didn't come into it thinking that I was going to be leading a thing or building a product. I really, it just resonated with me because I was super frustrated. I was working at a company that, you know, was not feeling, it was not necessarily making me feel super supported in my racial identity. So again, Tech and Do Better was the first time that in my personal experience as a worker person that I actually saw folks trying to put forth actionable solutions to a very big problem that it's going to take probably a good chunk of time to solve. But because, you know, my bias is towards culture and community, I'm thinking my gut is saying that the culture is kind of a good place to start codifying it. We talked about values beforehand. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of smarter people than me have done a bunch of research on what's driving, you know, people leaving work or at least 
over the past couple of years. And it is that culture, you know, is it inclusive? Is it respectful? Is it ethical? Is it cutthroat? You know, is it abusive? Are you actually taking care of people? Um, or are you going to continue to put the profits over people to your detriment? Um, because again, at least in the past couple of years, we've been seeing pretty consistently that something's not working. I, I, I think the last couple of years um, have certainly made that evident to to more folks. I, I think it has been true for much, much longer than that. <laughs> Just people like Sadly, me are yeah. starting to notice. Yeah, no, so that's, yeah. We're, well, you can't ignore it now. Yeah. It's costing money, yeah. so you can't ignore it now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I, I'd like to... I'd like to fix it for a lot of reasons. That is certainly one of them. And you know what? If that gets more people at a higher level to pay more attention to it, that's great. Let's cost them some money. I'm I'm yeah. all for it. That's fantastic. <laughs> or I just think, you know, and much of my bias is, you know, it, seeing how, you know, being in some of the rooms where some of the decisions are being made, I'm realizing more and more just how important metrics are for getting anything accomplished. And it's important for anyone trying to enact change, regardless of whether you're in for-profit, non-profit, whatever, to be able to, as Fallon said, like codify it, but specifically codify it in a language that people are used to. So, and that, and that is metrics. And I think that one of my own personal journeys, and I know there are a lot of smart people doing this, but how do we like turn something so subjective and qual like qualitative, like, uh, experience at a company, like what it feels like to feel like I belong at this company into a metric that we can track over time and disaggregate and say that this group of people are feeling this way, this group isn't, and then begin to prioritize it through that lens. So, and I think that there are a lot of like, um, let's say well-intentioned idealists, but not a lot of people putting pen to paper and saying, this is the system that needs to be implemented in order to get there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, and and Fallon, I, you may you may relate to this as as uh, somebody who's done a lot of uh, qualitative research. That's hard in product. That's hard in companies. That's hard in anything. That getting that qualitative feedback in a way that does feel as actionable as metrics or trying to turn that into metrics. Yeah. So if if you have if y'all are going to have uh, suggestions about that, I am I am all for it. <laughs> I am a huge fan because I agree that, that you got to turn it into something and something that doesn't just feel like, you know, a checkbox that people can game. That's, I, you know, in my, in my design life, we talk a lot about gaming of metrics and how do you, you know, keep people from just doing the like, well, but you know, we, we did all the, we did all the checkboxes and then we happened to hire the person that, you know, we were going to hire anyway, mm. <laughs> you know, which doesn't, doesn't feel right for anybody. That's not a, yeah, it's not a and, good thing. Yeah. That's a tricky. And I, by no means will pretend to be the expert on matters that big, but I mean, I think that that's where it comes down to just the, the truly subjective. It, it comes down to the leaders values themselves. And like, are, do you have the right people in the right places who truly care and will not allow or will you know will not allow the system to be gamed effectively mm -hmm. so yeah and that's the tricky and, part is how do we encourage and build systems to get those right people in the right places 
Right. And how are, and how are you communicating those values? I know I know Fallon, you have a you have some opinions about this. What <laughs> what kinds of things like if you're working with a team or if you're, you know, even looking for a job, um what do you what are you looking for in that? I'm looking for belonging and I'm looking for obvious markers that people feel like they belong. Not necessarily groupthink because I think in tech it's very easy to just put it bluntly, drink the Kool-Aid, right? We don't really work in tech for products that we might not use or we might not love. So again, it's very, very easy to kind of get into and get excited about the idea of a company, but then like, what do the values look like in action? So those are the types of things that I try to suss out when I'm trying to work with somebody. It's just like, okay, can you tell me an anecdote of a time where somebody actually exemplified, showcased your values in action. How did that work? When someone does something that's not aligned with the values of the organization, what does that look like? How do those people, are those people brought in? Are those people pushed out? What is the worst part of your job that you hate? Like I am that person that you don't want to interview because I'm going to ask you these things because as a black cis het woman, when I come into these places, when I hop on these Zoom calls, I'm automatically a threat to some people and I'm going to feel it and whether or not they say it, whether or not they yeah. feel comfortable saying it. I'm going to feel that you don't want to tell me the truth. I'm going to feel like you actually don't think that I'm good at my job. But yeah. maybe what that will look like is I'm getting a lot more questions than everybody else because maybe yeah. that's what you do here. And so trying to do that interrogation as early and often as possible about what do these values look like in action and trying to make sure that the words align with the action because a lot of times they won't. And and yes, yes, all of that. And also trying to make sure that the folks, I think it's a great question to ask, by the way, because I think it's a great question to see if the folks who are interviewing you can actually talk about the values of the company. Like, And when you're talking to yeah. eight different people, if there is no consistency between the answers, run. Because it's not codified. Or it is, but in silos. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always, it's, I always, I always find it fascinating when you find out that like, well, on our team, it's X, but what everyone mm -hmm. says is Y. And that's always a fun thing to get out. Cause it's like, well, okay, that's, that's useful. Does that mean that I want to go to this team or but really be in maybe a toxic larger organization or vice versa? Like, do I want to see if there's something someplace else? Trying to yeah. kind of figure that out. And I, one thing that, and, you know, being the the systemic, I mean, I, I can't, my brain works in systems. I guess that's like my, my engineering brain. But I'm now seeing in the world of startups that, you know, the kind of people giving you money, like I consumers kind of care about it and customers kind of care about it, but investors far less. So they don't really care about your values. They care about ROI. Like, are you growing? Are you growing? Are you growing? So in, inherently it becomes, you know, it, it becomes second priority, if not third or fourth priority to, um, to just profits. And I mean, this is where my exercise in, you know, can we, more existentially, what Pearl is to me is an exercise of building a better way of running business without compromising, just building an effective business. Because conventionally, I mean, just looking at the system producing these outcomes, 
CEOs, founders are not even remotely incentivized to build or codify culture. It is make me money. So I, there is a bigger exercise in, you know, being able to articulate a new, better system, which I didn't realize to what ex- how palpable that is um, until I started doing this. The thing that makes me so angry, and again, I promise I will not start ranting. This is your <laughs> But the thing that makes me so angry is that there is a lot of research that shows that those two things are actually correlated. They are not in conflict. It's mm-hmm. not like you can have one. It's not like you can have a diverse group of folks who, you know, work on things differently and come from different backgrounds or, you know, it's not like you can have that or you can have profit. Mm-hmm. It turns out <laughs> that. Yeah. I mean, the, there are a ton but of it doesn't McKinsey feel studies. good, but yeah. it makes me uncomfortable, Ugh. but I'm not nor it doesn't feel right. And that's where that culture and those feelings and all those soft mushy gushy things either help or hurt it right because then they would have to admit that they have feelings too and that their decisions are driven by emotions and it's not just people who aren't like them who are being emotional and irrational it's actually the ones who are saying no i need a safe space and by a safe space i mean everybody needs to look and feel exactly exactly and i mean it's just the (laughs) you know the we live in a society moment where everything gets politicized and Obviously, any critique against the system is a kind of a classist critique. I mean, not to, you know, just get really heady with it. But there are groups of, you know, identities, groups, identity groups who have long benefited from it. And a critique against that is a critique against something more foundational, something ickier um, that brings out some pretty uh, dark feelings. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would say it's interesting because um, I, I, <laughs> I am extremely not optimistic about some of this stuff. Um, <laughs> and I, so I'll be brutally honest, having been around some of these guys for 25 years now. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there very much is a um, feeling that like I know who gets – I know who gets the benefit of the doubt. I know who is presumed competent. I know who – Um, gets seen as rational and I know who gets seen as irrational and hysterical. I know who gets told that their tone is not right. Um, You know, I don't know it as much as some other folks, but I certainly have seen it, you know, over 25 years. And, um, and I think uh, when we talk about that sort of systemic and actionable approach to, to fixing these problems, I don't know. I I, yeah. I I don't I don't know if the right answer is to try to fix those guys or if the answer is just to try to get more different folks in. Like I'm so excited about the yeah, new generation I, of designers and product folks. My <laughs> my point of view is very much the latter. And I think again, going back to the existential existential purpose of Pearl, it is my experiment to mobilize and amplify more of the people with good intentions, more of the diverse leaders than necessarily try to change the one who have vested interest in not changing. It just doesn't seem like a productive use of anyone's time. So on the platform, I mean, even in our pilots, Fallon and I have been very intentional about making sure that our values, and again, we're codifying these, but the obvious one is the community of people on our platform will be diverse. You are coming to Pearl 
to get a diverse perspective on leadership and what that looks like, not just from, you know, just to say it like straight white dudes. And it's like, this is what, you know, young black leaders are thinking. This is what middle managers who are Latinx are thinking about certain things and begin to amplify the long overlooked leaders at the middle of companies that probably don't look like the leaders we're used to seeing. So again, I'm, I'm pretty cynical about a lot of things, but I think that the best avenue for change, at least right now, is just building something better as opposed to trying to change people's minds who probably don't want to, or at the very least, do not benefit from things changing yeah. or overtly yeah. so. And I, what I'll add to that is that it's kind of this idea of giving folks credit for what they do too. I think that is the biggest thing that excites me about Pearl as, as a documenter person, as a doer, I can go here and write down what I did, show you exactly the results of my efforts. And if you look at that over time, you can know and see exactly what I can do. I can get credit for my work and the value that I added versus again, as we all know, we're on design. We're on a team. It's a team. It's everybody's idea. It's we. We all did yeah. it. Yeah. Except but for the person so who took credit. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So like for me, that's the biggest thing that gets me super, super excited about Pearl. The idea of giving credit to the doers for doing as they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Fallon. Are you saying that I, as a design manager, can no longer just take credit for all the stuff that my team is doing? I, I mean, mean, you that's, can that's try. It's going to hurt you, my review is what I'm here's saying. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can reframe that and say, I enabled and facilitated this amazing team of designers to do all of these uh, wonderful things. Let me tell you exactly how Lawrence contributed. Let me tell you exactly how Fallon contributed. Let me tell you exactly how Joe Schmo over here contributed. And I facilitated and drove all of that. I, I made it amazing. I made it possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Mostly, by, mostly by getting the hell out of their way. Come on. And that in and of itself should get you a cookie. It yeah. should get you a cookie. Because look what yeah. you did. That's, that's and, all I ever want circle. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it takes, it does take tremendous skill to be a good coach or orchestrator, knowing that it's not just about the craft. You know, as we talked about at the beginning, it's like, this is the kind of, you know, we need someone who is very conceptual and is the visionary. And we also need someone who will get the job done. And we need the personalities to work between them. But, oh, we also need this other person in the mix. And we, I have to be the one organizing and keep them moving. It, that is hard. And I think that in the same way that design and writing and cooking, because anyone can technically do them, there is this deception that they're easy. But I think that leadership is very, very hard and it's very nuanced. And with Pearl, I'm beginning, you know, this is beginning to make the, as Fallon says all the time, implicit, explicit, and try to tease out a lot of the nuance that makes a great leader. So, and I think that for that, in that sense, yes, you should be celebrated for bringing all these people together and getting the hell out you of the way. You should. And that you're is how we should sweet. talk about leadership, right? <laughs> Not necessarily look at me, look at me. It's look at mm-hmm. us. Sometimes it's look at me. Sometimes it's look at us. Sometimes it's look over there. <laughs> <laughs> look, at, look at what they did. Being <laughs> able to pivot, right? That that yeah. idea of making leadership more, in, like less inflexible. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. So I, I, I absolutely agree with all of that. Um, I think like 
honestly, the only thing that I actually do is hire. And um, I have found it to be <clears throat> challenging. Um, what do you, cause I think that you have some related ideas here about like, I like to ask people what they think the hardest thing is about either hiring or getting hired. Hmm. You want to go fail? I, I have my point yeah. of view, but. <laughs> I think, yeah. Cause mine comes like for like in the beginning, it's really trying to suss out using poorly written job descriptions, whether or not this is even worth my time. I find that the last time that I was doing this was a couple months ago and you know, thankfully I had a personal relationship so I could hear from people who were there about what it was like. But the last time it was, it was kind of a research project all, all, you know, on its own. I'm reading this. I'm not really inspired. It's not really clear. I don't really know what I'm going to be doing. So maybe I can go to the blog or maybe I can go watch a video or by the time I'm done, I'm like an hour in and I haven't even put an application in. So we should try to figure out a better way to write job descriptions because they are not great. (laughs) And I think that ties in so well with a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, about like you said, making, making the implicit explicit, like about saying, this is what you're going to be doing. This is who you're going to be doing it with. This is the kind of outcome. This is the kind of team. These are the values. This is what we want. This is, this what is we're how we're measuring for. success. Oh God. That is I the love biggest that. thing. But again, I'm, I've also been on the inside where ah, somebody just quit. Ah, we need to hire somebody. We are not thinking copy creatively. Paste, copy paste. Right, right. <laughs> it's copy pasta spaghetti. Like it's gross, but <laughs> it's what ends up happening. We will take we will take somebody who has the title designer, yes, or engineer or whatever. Ugh. Yeah, that's that is hard. How how about you, Lawrence? What's what's the hardest thing for you about hiring or getting hired? Yeah, I think other than everything is, we've talked about, <laughs> I, I mean, plus one to everything that was talked about, and you know, my head goes kind of to where it's been a lot of this time. And it's more conceptual, but capturing and then you know also articulating more the full spectrum of a candidate, so of what someone has to offer beyond just can you use Figma? Uh, do you uh, do you know what a cloud storage is? It's like what is your identity and how you see the world? Not only diversity of identity, but diversity of thought. And I think you said it before, Laura, but value fit culture add. And you need far more than just skills and capabilities. I think that it is helpful to see track record, to see at a high level, obviously they're imperfect, those psychometric assessments of like, are you detailed versus are you high level? Are you extroverted versus are you introverted? Not to preclude anyone from specific things, but it does give you some correlation with, all right, what am I roughly, you know, roughly, how does this person fit into the, to the equation? And, you know, doing that in a a way, a quick way is really, really hard. So I, yeah, I think that that's the crux of it all. Yeah. If we could get hiring to even start to uncover some of those questions, I think it would be enormously better. Um, any, just sort of as a last thing, any, any great stories or cautionary tales, as I like to call them of, um, <laughs> of, of hiring, the hiring bloopers real, if you will. Alan has one. I do. Uh, if you find yourself on a zoom or a call with someone who does not look like you, do not lean into trying very, very hard to relate because nine times out of 10, it will have the um, 
opposite effect. I was talking to a person, um, interviewing them to potentially be my manager in an effort to relate to me. As I said earlier, black cis hat woman over here. Uh, this person was not. They told a story about growing up on a farm and doing some manual labor with folks who do did not look like them. I'm not going to go into any further detail to further traumatize uh, the listeners. But ultimately, that made me feel unsafe, disrespected, and I just wanted to run screaming off that call because I'm like, okay, not only do I now have doubts about your ability to do the job, I have doubts about your character as a human and I don't know if this would be a, a value add, a culture fit, none of it. <laughs> and I mean, it would certainly be a thorough. It would certainly be a value add. I'm not sure that that's the value that you were looking to add, though. <laughs> no, I, I never really thought that I'd hear a story that was that was significant. You know, that that was that was worse than the like. Oh, let me tell you about my black friends. <laughs> but honestly, this is yet, adjacent. Somehow, it's it's yeah, kind of. It's it's under the same umbrella of of disrespectful as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, that's um, yeah. In terms like the of the kernel, tech can do better. I'll give them this. The kernel of the nugget of the intention was good, but right intent versus impact. Your intention was to connect with me. The impact was you pushed me so far away. You could never. You're never gonna see me again. Yeah, yeah, and and because it was done in such a completely ham-handed way that just, you know, like you are, if, if that is what you are doing to try to connect with another human being. Yeah. We need more practice in the connection. Yeah, we that's need, not we, great. We, like maybe you're be- in the beginnings of your journey and maybe, you know, after a couple more swings and misses, you'll get it, but not on my time and dime. I, I do, I do not blame you. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you for sharing. That was um, definitely in the uh, in the cautionary tales uh, can- <laughs> category. Um, listen, this has been so fantastic. Thank you both so much for coming on. Um, that is all the time that we have for today. Um, I, I want to thank Lawrence and Fallon for for joining us. I also want to thank everybody out there for listening. And I want to well, wish thank everybody you. The- thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Thanks. I want to wish everybody the best of luck with your own search, whether it's for a new job or a new employee. Um, I am rooting for you.